0: Hello, and welcome to the final episode of season one of The Purpose Podcast. I'm Alex, the founder of 195, a London-based startup that designs eco-conscious and unisex travel goods. We launched The Purpose Podcast so you can get to know the people, stories, and challenges behind some of the most exciting brands that have a purpose at the heart of their business. If you've got aspirations or plans to launch your own business, and make a positive impact, then you're in the right place for insights and advice. For this final episode, we'll be doing things a little different. Throughout the previous episodes, I've been the one asking the questions. Today, I'll be the one answering the questions to talk more about my experience launching and running 195. I've invited Alec Fenn to ask the questions. Alec's an author, journalist and one of my closest mates. He's seen the ups and downs of 195 since we launched in 2019, and he loves to talk, so there's no better person to step in for this. In this episode, I'll be sharing my personal experience that led to the launch of 195, and more about our commitment to environmental sustainability when working in an industry with a bad reputation. So with that in mind, Alec, welcome as today's host of The Purpose Podcast.
1: Alex, thank you so much. That's a very generous introduction. I hope you're doing well today. I mean, to kick off this conversation, I really must start off with a wash bag because, you know, you could have made brand new suitcases. You could have, you know, chosen a a different launch product. So just to start things off, just tell me why the wash bag? You're right. It it was, I guess, quite a niche choice
0: and, and seemed to have been tarnished as a wash bag salesman by you amongst other friends. But really, it was kind of a combination of, I guess, Passion, circumstance, and practicality. So on the passion side of things, I love to travel. I love to visit a new country, you know, experience a new culture, meet new people. So that passion has always been there to travel. And then I guess the other aspect of the passion really was Sunday nights spent with uh, my housemate at the time, Ravi, watching Blue Planet 2. Probably like most people, fairly ignorant, fairly unaware of the plastic problem up until the point of uh, the great man Sir David Attenborough enlightening us all and really probably felt like you know after seeing that what can i do like how can i how can i take a small corner of this problem and, and and try and make a positive impact and then on the the circumstance side of things i've i've had a passion to want to do my own thing for a long time but i didn't really know what that was what that would be uh, so my background is not within the world of product design or e-commerce i'm from sort of a commercial role in tech in the tech industry before this but I guess around sort of like late 2017 into uh, early 2018, I had major bowel surgery. So I've been unwell for a long, long time. Probably wrongly looking back now, I think like most British males just assume that it'll kind of fix itself, it'll be okay. In hindsight, that was definitely the wrong decision. So ultimately, by the end of 2018, I was, I was made redundant at the time from my, my previous employer and was requiring this major bowel surgery. The surgery itself, whilst it went well, it was big surgery, uh, and during it, I was really, really fortunate to survive it. So um, I won't go into all the, kind of the, the the technical aspects of exactly what happened, but essentially during the surgery, I think my, my blood pressure dropped rapidly, heart rate was up at about 200 beats a minute, and I was potentially moments away from a major heart attack and never, ever surviving that surgery. Came round from that, sort of 24 hours later in intensive care after being on a ventilator, spent a subsequent two weeks in hospital recovering, which obviously, I remember you coming and see me and I wasn't in a good way at the time. And then really like an additional sort of four months of recovery at home as well. And it's probably during that time that I sat back and reflected and thought, what next? I could have sort of played it safe, gone back into the world of tech. That would have been the obvious option, but I think when you go through that kind of experience, probably a little bit more open to taking a risk and probably gives you the kind of the kick up the arse you need to actually go and chase things that you want to do. I've mentioned this before, but I I sort of reflected post-surgery and in recovery saying that had I not survived, what would have been the three big regrets in life? One, I never saw England win the World Cup, which we sort of came close to with the Euros this year. Uh, Number two, I'd never been in love. And number three, I'd never set up and done my own thing. So, you know, two-thirds of them have been uh, achieved, one's still on there, but yeah, I think you, you kind of go through that experience, and the positives I take from it is that things don't phase you the same, I think I, I almost see things, and I think, well, can't be as bad as waking up to you on a piece of rubber in, in intensive care, and spending two weeks of my life looking out of a window, recovering in hospital, and the recovery itself was was big recovery, so I had a, um, uh, a temporary ileostomy, or a temporary stoma at the time. So it's not. at the time I was a 28 year old single guy and it's not where you want to be in life, but I was sort of determined to take what was undoubtedly the, the toughest part of my life, turn it into a positive and sort of spin things around. So yeah, there's, there's, there's that aspect. And then specifically why the wash bag? Firstly, I guess, you know, before having that surgery, traveling through Heathrow airport, uh, I remember stood at uh, at the airport security waiting to queue and this is post-watching Blue Planet 2 where you know, I think people were starting to make positive changes so you start to think like the the coffee cup or the bag for life to the supermarket. But the one thing that sort of caught my attention really was that as people were walking through airport security, everyone was still grabbing the single-use plastic bag uh, for their cosmetics and toiletries or liquids. And I guess the penny just sort of dropped really. Well, why don't we try and design... Uh, a wash bag that incorporates a reusable bag to uh, to help people pass on the single-use plastic bag at airport security. So started to do a load of research into this and as you'd expect there's not a lot out there publicly because airports don't really want to share this information because it doesn't really reflect positively on them. So I went to do a bit of my own research down at Gatwick Airport that nearly got me arrested um, but managed to sweet talk them around and, and actually ended up having a good conversation with the, the airport security staff who were Able to share some some insightful information and then built this model and kind of figured things out that pre pandemic, over 150 million of these single use plastic bags were being distributed at airports alone in the UK. Obviously, it be much lower now, sort of post pandemic at the, the, at the time being. But that was it, really. It was like, well, I'll tell you what, then I've, I've got time on my hands. I've got a bit of money in my bank account Post um, post being made redundant, and I've got this idea and I've got. A slightly different mentality towards life so from that point in let's redesign the wash bag and start 195.
1: I mean it's a great brand story and he touched on there about you know you're more open to taking risks now I mean I cannot imagine over the last two years I mean such a risky time to launch a business shortly before a pandemic and obviously working very hard to survive that I mean just tell me about the last sort of two years what that has been like I mean it must have been quite scary times.
0: Yeah, I think scary is probably the the ideal word for it. So you know, I did all the due diligence before launching One Nine Five, and felt like it was the right place and the right time. So entrepreneurship is often glamorised, or it seems like this sexy business. But you know, there's a lot that goes on in the background that isn't particularly sexy. So as an example, you know, we looked into like the data behind the travel industry, and more people were continuing to travel on a yearly basis over like the past, I think, like eight or nine years, according to airport data. So you, you kind of think, you know, this is a This is an ever growing industry. People love to travel, share these travels, you know, in in a world of social media. So it felt like the right place. But yeah, we could never have foreseen or expected that six months after launching the brand that uh, a global pandemic would pretty much grind global travel to a halt. So I think if I look back now, it was, I started to sort of panic a bit. I started to feel uneasy as far back as sort of like January, February, 2020. So we'd had a really, really good Christmas. Things were really positive. We've been featured on ITV this morning. There was a great response to the wash bags during that busy period and sort of gifting. And then sort of January, February hit, and uh, I think at the time, the first thing that really had me sort of feeling uneasy and nervous, I remember, was um, the US grounding flights between the US and Europe. So this isn't really a good sign. And then by, I think by sort of like April time, as lockdown had properly hit within the UK, and you know, pretty much no one was travelling pretty much no one was leaving home by this point, our sales have plummeted by like 95%. Even looking back to Christmas of last year, sales were down about 45 to 50% because, you know, we were still in the throes of a pandemic. So yeah, it was nervy. And our response to that really has been to sort of play it safe. We, we have really been in defence mode for the past, what feels like a year and a half, which isn't where you want to be when you're trying to start a business and grow it. But... uh there's just not really been anything else we could do. It didn't feel right to be trying to push or promote travel goods or, or, or even travel when the world has been told to stay at home. The only thing that we have really done in that period of time is to really sort of think about, well, how do we, I don't like to use the word, but pivot. You know, everyone's thrown that word around recently, but how do we, how do we move from being, you know, strongly affiliated as a travel goods brand, or in my case, a wash bag salesman to mates, how do we move from that to the everyday? So like, how do we help people to pack smart when they're heading to the gym, heading back into the office now, that kind of thing? And and I guess in the short term, that is our immediate priority until we can see more positive signs of, of, of travel sort of bouncing back. I
1: mean, there'll be people listening to this podcast who they've either just started their own business or they want to start their own business. And they might be thinking that, you know, there was a golden parachute for you. You, you. you know, you have people helping you out, keeping you afloat. That that wasn't the case, was it?
0: No, no, it wasn't really. It was a case of play it safe, stop spending money, try and be sensible and, and almost like sit it out. I mean, we've had like over the past year, so I think we had like, we did have a, we did receive a grant from, from Crowding Council. We did receive like a small grant from Facebook. But yeah, when you're an online business and you don't have, like a, a physical retail store, then there aren't the kind of the same government grants that were filtering down to us as as somebody who's got that kind of that that bricks and mortar store.
1: I mean did you consider at any point, I mean, you know, going back into full-time work, trying to, you know, make money another way to try and support the business? Was that something you you considered?
0: Yeah, I think yeah, it, it definitely has been. And I think there's probably two routes we could have gone down, actually. We 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 could have gone down like the investment route and again, bad timing. So actually we 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 were we should have been on Dragon's Den in 2020. And it pretty much, it was almost like agreed. So the week before lockdown hit, I'd just done the final audition in the BBC studios. And that was looking like really, really positive. But obviously as and when that, you know, the lockdowns hit then um, filming just stopped. And given that most who work in the world of TV are sort of freelance, that team disbanded. So we could have, we could, you know, we could have been searching for additional investment, but then what he says, we didn't want to, seek or or search for investment from like a, a position of sort of like a weakness almost where we're doing out of desperation. We want investment into 195 as and when it's the right time to grow and we feel like things are on the up again. So yeah, it, it could have been a case that do I do I go back into full-time work and leave this running on the side, but you know, I've put all my kind of in there I've put all my money into this, all my passion, all my love into this since April 2018 now. So I feel like I've come too far to suddenly give up. And I am looking ahead now with a lot more optimism as well.
1: I mean, thankfully, yeah. I mean, as you said, global travel has started to pick up. People are flying to different countries again. I mean, I'm keen to know a little bit more about the product. So you describe them as eco-conscious. For anyone listening to this who doesn't know what that means, I mean, what does it mean, Alex?
0: It's a good question because it could mean different things to different people, but we've been quite conscious to use the word eco-conscious, really to try and explain that as a brand, we prioritise environmental sustainability, but we're not perfect. I think it's pretty important for us to actually acknowledge that we are a small team. We don't have a finite amount of investment and resources, but at the heart of what we do, we absolutely want to do good and prioritise environmental sustainability in the planet. And and we chose the word eco-conscious as a way of communicating that. Um, I think, you know, there is always this risk now of like greenwashing and you hear words like band around, eco-friendly, sustainable. And it, it, it is really hard and um, to try and, especially when you're an online brand as well, because, you know, essentially we are a faceless business. You know, we try to offer a window into who we are, what we care about, but but it's, it's not easy when you are an online business. But yeah, I think ultimately we're trying to suggest that, you know, this is what we care about. This is where we want to go and this is how we're trying to get there. And, and then we always try to advocate for, the, the, the aspect of like a, a small but positive step, you know, so we're not going to sit there and say, we're perfect, we're doing all this, right? Because I guess anybody that produces a product you probably can't really claim to be ultimately eco-friendly. That the, the only real way to be eco-friendly is to do nothing, I guess, or to produce nothing. So there's always, there's always like a kind of a payoff in doing this. But I hope that our customers and anybody that's listening to this or people that maybe followed us would see that we're trying to do good and... I think part of what we really care about as well is, is this sort of like this, this need to improve and innovate. So how can we always get better at what we do? And I think we're, we're never sort of happy just to kind of settle. So we, we, we do one thing, we think, well, how can we improve it? How can we get better? How can we find or source or use materials that might be better than the materials we use now? How can we, how can we figure out packaging that might be easier for our customers to recycle at the end of So whatever it is, I think we, we feel really quite restless to want to continually improve.
1: No, I do have one of your wash bags. Um, I had to pay full price. Uh, No no discounts for me. Um, But on that eco-conscious front, just tell me a little bit more about the wash bag because you touched on the plastic element, but just tell us what makes it unique.
0: Yeah, good question. Probably a number of things really. So obviously primarily with the wash bag, it's about trying to tackle single-use plastics at airport security. Uh, Like I said, over 150 million. So if we can make a small dent into that, then then we see that as a as a, as a big positive. Um, but then ultimately, in terms of the actual product themselves and the, the associated packaging, you know, we give that so much consideration. I think one of the key things that we we try to do with with when when designing products or considering a new product is the like the durability and the lifespan of a product. It's one of the biggest things, and I think we've we we mention it I think online, but you know, we advocate buy less and buy well. How can we source and use the most premium, durable materials to ensure that they last? I mean, we don't class ourselves as being a uh, a fashion brand, but I guess we do still work in the world of textile. So we are associated to that. You know, rightly so right now, the world of you know fast fashion has got a terrible reputation because it promotes and encourages overconsumption. And it's something that we're very actively against, you know, so we, we we try to promote and encourage customers or, you know, to actually use our products for years to come. We want them to be well-loved, you know, well-used. They pick up a bump or scratch along the way, I guess that's all part of the character of heading somewhere new and seeing somewhere different. So that's definitely one aspect in materials and, and trying to promote that. Uh, on the packaging side of things, packaging is is entirely plastic-free now and and all either uh, home recyclable or home compostable. Again, it's one of these things that can often be forgotten about. But we're probably in like the kind of the semi-premium world in what we do. So there's much more expensive products out there than us, but at the same time, you know, much cheaper options. So even though we're in that sort of semi-premium world, we we don't want to kind of fall into the trap of really elaborate packaging that's that's overly fancy. So it's really quite simple packaging, and and there's there's good reason behind doing that. And then I think the other sort of unique aspect of what we're trying to do is is around end of life. So going back to my point that we are putting a product out there into the world, and you know we have to acknowledge and admit that every product pretty much has got an end of life. We hope that's you know way down the line, and you know like I said, you know it, it's not a problem for years and years, but that that point will come. And I think by that point, a lot of other a lot of other brands don't really consider, you know, I've sold it now; it's, it's somebody else's problem. Whereas actually, what we're trying to do is be responsible all the way through from manufacture to the end of life, which is. Why, as a small business, we feel it's quite—we feel passionate and feel strongly about offering customers a return to recycle scheme, and that's a commitment that materials will be either reused or recycled, and ultimately won't add to the millions of tons of
1: textiles that end up in landfill every year in the UK. I mean, it's great. I mean, you, you're trying to look after the planet and um, you know make it a better place, but. Do you think is there a little bit of conflict? Obviously, you're encouraging people to fly, and we know that planes are obviously a, a big polluter of our planet. Is is that something that you've considered that there is this bit of conflict?
0: Yeah, you're right. Th- there is, um, and and it's a really we've been asked that question before, and and, and actually, if I saw something. I'm, I'm actually probably almost quoting somebody else in saying this, but the, the best the best sort of explanation which we would we would also sort of subscribe to is it's that balance. So with travel, we see a whole load of huge socioeconomic benefits that come from travel. And I, I, if I look at the world in the past 18 months, post-Brexit, middle of pandemic, the UK feels like a small place right now. And and I worry that the world feels like it's getting a smaller place. Are we less tolerant of people now than we should be? And I look at political opinions that seem ever more polarising and this, this huge chasm and this split between people. And I think travel is something that can ultimately bring people back together. It, it, can, it can build trust, it can build understanding, compassion, empathy between people. And I think that's such a massive, massive benefit right now. So considering that that's something that we value and that we think is really important, what we try to do is then think, well, how do we minimize the impact of travel? How can we promote, you know, slow travel, mindful travel? So, you know, we're not saying that hop on a plane between different islands to different places, you know, we'll try to promote Rail travel to go and see somewhere else. We'll try to promote, you know, more eco-friendly or, or travel that has a, a smaller carbon footprint. And likewise, as well, even when travelling, you know, we'll try to promote. How can you maintain that routine that you've got at home in terms of using the reusables? How can you maintain that routine when travelling? So we'll always try to promote doing everything possible to be mindful of how you travel if you travel.
1: One nine five as a brand is still very much a baby. You know, only just over two years old, and there's been some big, big moments along the way so far I mean is there a proudest moment for you? Probably two things stick out one of which was
0: not planned in the slightest kind of going back to the point I was making so I spent six about four or five months with a temporary stoma recovering from the surgery for anyone that doesn't know what that is or like you know having that it it is hugely like mentally and physically challenging to adapt to that Um, and I found that tough and actually I my approach again probably wrongly and British male, it's like, i going to get my head down. I'm just going to get myself feeling better, feeling well. And then I had second surgery to reverse this and then the temporary stoma was, was gone. But yeah, I mean, that was that was something that I found really, really hard to, to deal with. And probably on the top, you know, probably you guys, there's only a couple of people that I only really told about this. It just it wasn't my style to really put it out there and, and ultimately like seek support or, or help. It was just, it was, it was on me to sort of so sort of see this through. But then we, uh, in our Instagram account, we had a DM one day from um, a girl called Sinead who also had a, uh, a stoma at the time and had said that she was using our wash bag to carry her daily uh, stoma supplies. So if again, if you don't know, like, like everywhere you travel, if you've got a stoma, you're pretty much going to carry like some kind of like medical kit accompanying it with you. You can't really leave the house without it. Yeah, Sinead basically told us that the wash bag would be ideal for her to carry all her stoma equipment. So we, we sent one to Sinead. And then by doing that, we almost found ourselves becoming closer to this community online of really quite open, supportive community of other people who have stomas or have inflammatory bowel disease. and And then we almost became a part of this community. And then we've been really sort of like welcomed into this. And a lot of people are now using our products for that purpose. So really wasn't intended. But that's something I'm really, really proud of in the sense that you know, I've had the first-hand experience and looking at this community of people now, how supportive they are, the fact that we can be a small part of normalising this, you know, because there is still a taboo around it. Nobody really wants to say, I've got a stoma. It's its a its a hard conversation to to engage people on. And you see, like, a lot of the hate that people get on social media for posting about this. Um, so the fact that we can play a small part in normalising this and, and, you know, essentially promoting that this isn't a taboo, that's something i'm really really proud of the second aspect is probably something this year so we we, we launched a partnership with charity whale and dolphin conservation they, they they approached us and again great privilege that we could be partnering as a you know a relatively small brand still but we have the option and the, the ability to be able to partner with a uh, a global charity that, that is leading the fight to protect whale and dolphins so going back to my uh, my blue planet two days definitely have a, a, you know, an affinity towards, towards whales, such magnificent creatures. So the fact that yeah we're now able to produce a limited edition product that is, um, that, that's, that's donating 20% of each sale to that charity. Yeah, that's something I'm really, really proud of as well.
1: I mean, I just want to go back to the uh, the Stoma story and the message that you got on Instagram. It's such an amazing story. Has that changed the way that you will design products in the future? Because you would never have imagined that someone, somebody would use it for that purpose. And I guess on top of that, I mean, what is next in terms of the products that you see yourselves bringing out in the future?
0: Yeah, I would I would love to be able, because, and again, this goes back, fully funny if actually, if I, the, the actual design of our wash bag was, was partly inspired by um, the, the kind of the bag or the kit that I received when I left hospital. So you have essentially kind of like a stoma nurse and the stoma nurse gives you all this equipment to leave hospital with and you haven't got a clue what the hell is going on. And like, it's quite daunting. But you get these quite sort of like, like sterile, ugly kind of bags. I mean, they're only, they, they're given away by the hospital for you to, to carry all your kits. So it's not about being stylish. But yeah, we I would love in time to, to produce or to create or design products that are even more specifically designed for the stoma community because there's definitely a requirement there. And again, by us designing a product, I think it normalizes us. You don't feel like you're having to carry some rather dull or sad-looking pouch with all your kit in it. So it's definitely on the radar. Beyond that, I think we probably will consider and keep looking at sort of like the, the, the everyday or the lifestyle products for the time being. Whilst travel is still uncertain and we sort of try to speak to friends in the travel industry and we're hopeful things will be more positive as of maybe like next summer, but still not guarantee. But I think the the thing that I'm probably most excited about at the moment is a, a move towards more like natural fibres with our products. So we've just launched a... Uh, a 13 inch laptop sleeve after sort of like months of research and and back and forth and speaking to potential different partners we've switched out what is typically a a virgin plastic padding or foam and we've used coconut fibers really unique so typically coconut fibers are used for things like gardening Uh, they are used in for mattresses often like layers in mattresses but they've never been used for this purpose before so that's something that really excites me. I'm looking forward, really keen to explore the world of bio leathers. So, how can we switch at the moment? What is a the outer material is essentially like a, a recycled, uh, sorry, a recyclable PU or vegan leather. But I'm really keen in time to think like how do we how do we make the switch from that into a a bio leather that is essentially predominantly derived from a natural source. So there's plenty of options out there at the moment. The priority, I mean, there's a little bit of a a mystery, I would say, in this world. that So people will, will promote pineapple leather, for example. But ultimately, pineapple leather still has a kind of a combination of pineapple fibres and plastic. because so otherwise, it, it, it just doesn't have the, the durability to be able to last. It'll break down too soon. So priority-wise, it's how can we find a... I guess it's called a bio leather with the minimal amount of plastic in it. That's kind of the part that excites me going into 2022.
1: Definitely exciting times. I mean, hopefully I'll get my hands on one of them laptop sleeves. Maybe a little freebie for doing this podcast, Alex.
0: We'll see, we'll see. We'll see.
1: see. Um, and of course, this is the Purpose podcast, so I've got to ask you, what is 195's long-term purpose?
0: I mean, it's, it's probably a balance here. So we, for, I think first and foremost, we still want to challenge this aspect of very gender-specific products. So going back, way back to the, the kind of the boring tasks of getting a business off the ground um, that aren't so sexy. One of the first things that I did when, when pondering the idea of designing a wash bag, I, at the time, this was like early 2018, I analyzed every wash bag being sold by, at the time it was at like the top five department stores in the UK plus ASOS, I think. Uh, and I, I, I looked at everything from like shape, shape, materials, um, gender they were aimed at, price, size, everything. Really dull task, but it was worthwhile. But in doing that, what we realized is that like, travel goods can be very gender specific. So really quite passionate going forward to ensure that we continue to challenge that and, and prove that because you're a male, you don't have to carry uh, you know travel goods that are made of leather that's brown or black, and that females don't have to carry products that are maybe cotton and floral. So I'm really keen to keep, keep challenging that notion. And I do still think that in this world or in, in the kind of the world that we work in, that there is, there is still a bit of a misconception that environmental, or, or to, to give a shit or to care about environmental sustainability means that you're like some hippie in a field. I don't think we're far away from that tipping point in, in, in which it becomes readily accepted and things like COP26 and, and the climate crisis is ever more present in the media. I think people are getting on board with this, which is which is a positive. But I do still want to. I think there's still a challenge to be had to prove that you can, des- or we can design travel goods that equally prioritise environmental sustainability alongside style and practicality. Part of that is it's it's a it's a tough balance to strike. But really, as a purpose, we kind of want to prove that that is possible and that this is you know our travel goods would be an item that you would be proud to leave on the desk in the co-working space to pop out in the queue at airport security if you're passing through there, whatever it might be, that actually these are goods that you'd be proud to show off and not something that almost feels a bit taboo and strange that, you know, I've got a a weird eco, mate. Like there's, There's a battle on our hands, I think, still there, but we're getting closer.
1: I want to sort of round off our conversation, Alex, by giving people a bit of advice who might have started a new business or they're thinking of doing so in the next 12 months. Um, I mean, you've had some great media coverage. Just tell us about that media coverage and you know, how have you achieved it?
0: it? It has been kind of a DIY PR. really. That's, we, we, we did have a, a PR agency working for us at one point for a couple of months. But I've actually found that it, it, it feels far more authentic and far more genuine for us to reach out to try and build relationships with, with sort of journalists. On a real practical level, there's probably two things that I still do almost on a daily basis that really help to try and identify where the media are talking about things that we might be able to align to. So the first one, I'm not on Twitter, but I still sort of check it daily. There's a, a, a hashtag called journal request. Lots of journalists are using that hashtag on a daily basis if they are writing a particular piece and they need input. So we, we've definitely picked up some good pieces from that. For example, last year I ended up on BBC News as a result of that, which is great, which was fantastic exposure. And then the other, alter, uh, the other idea as well is that part of a Facebook group called uh, Lightbulb, I can include in any kind of notes if anyone wants to have a look, but... Lightbulb Facebook group is is essentially a connection or a, a meeting point between typically like businesses or like startups and media or journalists. So again, rather than needing to arrange us via PR or an agency, journalists will post in this Facebook group asking for particular requests or particular input. So that's been a really nice source. And then ultimately, like, people start to come to us, which is really nice as well. So mentioned before that we were on TV this morning, and they approached us to include us in a in a kind of a gift guide for Christmas, which was unbelievable. The more you put yourself out there, the more that's the more that the more discoverable you are, the better chance you have of being found. But yeah, ultimately, it's it's being proactive and seeking out these opportunities, and then ultimately building a relationship. Because what we now find is that once we've once we've spoken to these journalists and we've built a working relationship or a connection, it then becomes much easier to go back and say, "Oh, we've launched a laptop sleeve. Would you be interested in talking about this?" Do you want a sample to take a look at it? Whatever it might be, but that's
1: that's worked really well for us. And just you know, what impact has that had? You know, when Philip Schofield was on this morning, he's talking about your product. Did you immediately see you know an uptick in sales? Like what impact did it have on the business?
0: ITV this morning specifically was crazy. So this was obviously like six months into launch and then it just went wild at Christmas. It was amazing. The opposite side to that, like I would, I would carry out that in the sense that it doesn't all have that impact. Some do absolutely nothing in terms of like driving sales but I still think that if it's with a, a credible journalist or a credible media outlet then there's still definitely be a positive to be out there and you never know how people will discover you
1: now just to finish off uh, no I know you have a factory out in China who manufacture your products I mean there must be so many factories in various different countries who could offer the same thing so how do you actually go about finding an, a manufacturer finding a you know a trustworthy factory what was, what's that process like?
0: I think this is probably one of the biggest barriers to launching a business if if you're coming at this without any kind of prior experience or background so admittedly that that was me. So when we when we came to designing our first two products, the wash bag and then the essentials pouch, we, we partnered with an agency in East London called Morama. And aside from being like fantastic product designers, it was almost like babysitting me for the first sort of like six months. So they would not only be doing all the designs, but they would also be supporting me and helping me to reach out to manufacturers because I had no prior experience of this. And even after doing that, there's so much to know and learn in terms of... Um, you know, how do you, how do you communicate these designs? What do you need to communicate? What do they need? How do you build credibility? Because that's a big aspect. Essentially, we were an absolute unknown at the time when we launched. And how do we get a credible manufacturer on our side who thinks we're genuine, who thinks it's worthwhile investing their time and resources? So there's, there's a lot on that side that I, I can definitely go into. And then the other piece as well is really around finding and finding a responsible manufacturer. Now We, we do make our products in China. And there is, there's definitely a perception that there's we're wrong for doing so. So, for example, you know, there's this this, this notion that anything made in China is, is is inherently a bad thing. And you know, we've had emails in the past from from people that have told us this, and they've sent us this from maybe their iPhone or iPad, which ironically is also made in China. Um, and I think to tar everybody with this one brush that, that that everybody's inherently bad, I think is wrong. I think there's a there's a lot of due diligence that has to be done to ensure you do find a responsible and trusted manufacturer. So to do that, there are a number of third party audits that have to take place, and and that can be in terms of things like um, their working conditions of staff and things, and, and making sure that that all is all all present and correct. But likewise, as well, if there are claims around, uh, say, like our the lining of our products is made from one hundred percent recycled plastic. There are again external parties or or organisations that will validate that claim to ensure that is the case. So there's a load of due diligence to do in that respect, uh, and then ultimately you need to be out there to visit them. And obviously, it's been difficult for the past 18 months, but. There is a, a huge value, I think, in taking that that trip to to meet with manufacturers, to be on the ground, you know, assess the working conditions and, and, and meet them in person. And I think that builds a much better relationship. On a real practical level, if if somebody's you know listening to this now and pondering like where the hell do I start, the best piece of advice I can really give for this is to maybe consider a more established brand or product in the market that you admire or that you like and have a look to see if they export their products into the US. So in the UK, import data, it's not quite as public as it is in the US. But if you look at US uh, import data, you can typically find online where the shipment came from. And then after that, it's a case of like then reaching out to and, and trying to build credibility with that manufacturer. So there's, um, there's two tools I think I've used in the past, one called Import Genius and one called Panjiva. I think both of them, there's like three versions, but yeah really easy to to start to do a bit of digging in that and then ultimately once once you've found a potential manufacturer that you want to work with and you start to engage with them the first thing you really need to do is try to understand the kind of the minimum orders that they want you to manufacture with them so typically when dealing with bigger bigger manufacturers they you know it, they do want bigger runs so it's it's often a kind of a commitment in terms of the amount of material that you might buy The kind of, if it's on like an industrial thing when you've got to like produce tooling, which can be expensive. And then ultimately, I think beyond that, it's how do you build that credibility? And I think you do that by turning up at their door or virtually turning up at their door in an email with, with something called a bill of materials. So this would be the kind of the technical document that would instruct them on exactly how to make the products that you want to design. Uh, and then beyond that, you need plenty of patience and time. Our experience is that you, you think you'll be able to achieve this in a couple of months, but inevitably it will take longer and you will hit delays. So I think the wash bag, I think it ended up taking us about the best part of about nine months. Um, and then you've got to go through different prototypes to really perfect this. And ultimately from our, our side as well, you you know other people will have approached this by developing a minimum viable product. So. You kind of do the the bare minimum to bring a product to market to test things, but from our side, it just isn't and wasn't viable to do that. We we, we didn't want to put something out there that potentially wasn't viable, and then suddenly we're sitting on a load of products that wasn't fit for purpose and ends up being waste. It's the last thing we want to do. So, and even I found this from speaking to other founders, you know, across this series that there is a consistent theme in that when you do prioritize environmental sustainability there's that huge commit to getting it right from the outset and you can't rush these things
1: Alex thanks so much for your time I mean running a business sounds so stressful I'm glad I'm a a journalist and not a a business owner thanks for inviting me on Uh, I'm sure maybe we'll do it again in the future and yeah good luck with the business moving forward
0: I hope so yeah thanks for joining us and uh maybe I will give you one of those laptop sleeves for this
1: I'm looking forward to it cheers Cheers, mate.
0: mate If you're still with me, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Purpose podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it interesting. If you did and you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, I'd massively appreciate if you could take a minute to leave us a positive review. And if there's a friend or family member that might enjoy or benefit from listening to this, please share a link with them on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're curious to learn more about our eco-conscious travel goods, Give us a follow on Instagram, which is at 195 or head to 195.com where you can also get 10% off your first purchase when you sign up to our newsletter. And for each weekly podcast, you'll also find a blog post with some highlights and learnings from the episode, along with a full written transcript. Thanks again. We'll speak soon.